Hey everybody, welcome back to the Quest for the Bestest. It's the podcast from Backlot Banter, where we look at all 10 Best Picture nominees and pick which ones, or I guess in our case, which three right now we think is the very best. That's right, <laughs> it's Quest for the Bestest. I'm Timo, joined by Abram, Tanner, and Tucker. And today we will be discussing The Banshees of Inisherin by Martin McDonough from this year, of course, starring Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Carrie Condon. Um, this is a film that I think has picked up a little bit of steam and has a lot of stuff that is worthy of discussion, worthy of a, of a meaty quest episode. So hopefully we can give it we can give it what it deserves today. But before we dive in and uh, and you know cut the fat off and really discover what this movie is all about, we got to recap what we talked about last time because last time we were in the Baz Luhrmann mode discussing. Elvis, the Lermanisms, the lack of subtleism, what we thought of the film, a music biopic? No? You should go watch the episode. That's all I've got to tell you. But the film got an 8.5. So the two numbers on our list, 9.2 and 8.5, um, mm -hmm. we decided that... What you old banshees get? <laughs> yeah, there's Find only out. two options right now. Um, but Elvis got an 8.50 because we've really got to lean on the computer to do our deciding for us this season. But it's at the bottom of the list at place number five. So where will Banshees go? I don't have a clue. I have no idea where it's going to go on this list. But that's the goal of today is to find that out. But, bef but before we do it, we got one more thing to go through. A featured comment that Abram has on his handy dandy Shwing. cellular phone. Yes. Uh, this comes from our Avatar episode and our treasured son, John Tor 11, back in the spotlight once again uh, with something of an essay, which I'll read out for you now. Is it he as writes, long as the last, last episodes? Because that was too long. <laughs> no, not quite. But he writes, uh, love your discussion. Saw it in the theater this week, and I loved it. James Cameron really is the world champion in doing spectacles. But at the same time, I felt a bit cheated. The story was essentially the same as the last movie. Annoying one-dimensional colonel hates Jake Sully. He died in the first movie, we thought, but oh no. They brought him back. I love the ecosystem stuff they touched upon, but it was not enough. The movie is still only about annoying colonel versus Jake Sully. And that's the thing with Cameron. He is the best at doing spectacular visual movies, but he's not a good storyteller IMO. I think he peaked with Aliens and Terminator 2, and wow. I think he had screenwriting help on those, but the movies since have been very weak story-wise. Titanic is literally a disaster in the way I'm sure Cameron didn't intend. Visually, of course, that was a ride. Cameron tricked me again. Uh, but if the three movies uh, to come will be, quote, Annoying Colonel Hates Jake Silly Parts 3, 4, 5, end quote, I'll be super disappointed. Please, James, bring in some screenwriting help. Double exclamation point. But will I go watch them? Yes, of course I will. Interesting thing what Timo said about the rule of coolness. I think this movie is too cool for its own good. 7.5 out of 10 for me. Tar next. Mm -hmm. Too cool for school. Man. John Torp, our treasured son. Great comment, but also that thing about about Titanic? Is that a disaster of a story? Is that the Titanic of a bad story? Is that a common uh, Well, I think it's a it's a pun because the story of the Titanic is a disaster, if you think. Well, true, you know, but like there's it. there's subtext there. Titanic. But if you remember, mm -hmm. he was not crazy because we read out his uh, comment back in the day when we reviewed Titanic and was he was way ago? Yeah. yeah, three, four, five, six, ten years ago about he Something was like way that. harsher on the film than we are. By the way, I'm seeing that on Tuesday now. We had to move it twice. Oh. But goddamn, oh. if I'll miss Titanic in uh, in the <laughs> theaters. So. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. Banshees of Inisherin. Who wants to give a little plot synopsis for uh, what 
what happens and who says what in this movie. I'll handle it, Timo. Tanner, go right ahead. Okay. So we find ourselves in 1923 Ireland, or more specifically, an island off the coast of Ireland called Inisharan. And we have two men who are seemingly the best of friends, Padrick and uh, Colm. Uh, but suddenly, uh, as we follow Patrick, we find out that Colm no longer wants to hang out with them. And over the course of the film, we come to discover that that's really because he finds Patrick boring now and dull and wants to move forward with his life and do something that means something and will last, namely uh, creating a piece of film, or uh, creating a piece of film that didn't exist, well, it did exist yet, creating a piece of music, rather, uh, for the violin and uh, things by... Fiddle. <laughs> Excuse me. Things spiral out of control, and uh, egos are hurt and built up, and uh, friendships turn into enemy ships, and uh, ultimately, something, some, th some things go up in flames. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. I watched the movie. Yeah, yeah. we all watched the movie, actually. I never will know what to do with those plot synopses if I should be like, ooh, a bit of sizzle, or just like straight up say what happened in the movie because we all watched it. Mm -hmm. My inclination yeah. is to be like, and then some things happened, but we all watched the movie. And we never yeah. try to avoid spoilers in these. No. no. So I don't know the why I do We've that. never even indicated that. It's like, oh, sorry guys, there's Titanic spoiler episode, uh-oh. <laughs> the donkey eats the finger, the house gets burned down, Barry yep. Keoghan drowns in the river, and the movie ends. And the movie there ends. And the woman, the old woman is a ghost or whatever. Exactly. Good. Yes. Yeah. We did it. There we go. Now that all that nonsense about what this, what happens in this movie is over with, what did you guys think of it? Abram, how about you go? You've got yeah. this, you've literally got the movie on the screen behind you. Did. That's, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. I thought the Banshees of Inisherin was excellent. Uh, I, I found myself really taken by this, by, by two things principally, the script and the cinematography. I, I think that what's interesting to me about the film is that it feels very inconsequential as it begins. And, and it takes time, I think, to really build itself up to have any sort of stakes. But from yeah. from the very beginning, I was immediately taken by the, the beauty of the fictional island of Inishir. And I'm not going to be tricked twice about what's real and what's fake in these Did fucking... you have to Google it? I, well, I did a little bit of research, actually, about the um, Irish yeah. Civil War, which oh, I'm sure, sure we'll, we'll talk about as a component of this film. But from the very beginning, I was taken by, by the sights and then taken by the script. I, I think that these characters are excellent. I think the performances are excellent. And we take what, what feels like a, just a couple guys being jokesters and turn it into what I, I feel is one of the most emotionally charged films that, that's hmm. uh, up for Best Picture this year. So I was... Given that I loved In Bruges, not a surprise, um, but I was quite smitten with Banshees. Mm -hmm. Very mm -hmm. nice. I'll go next. Why not? Go for it, Timo. Um, I like this movie. I don't know if I'm like over the moon about it, but I did enjoy it. And I felt that you're right, Abram. It is very emotionally affecting. And I found myself really empathizing with, uh, with Patrick in this film and, and, you know, feeling sad for him. And I found that the humor, the dry, the wry... Uh, humor that this film uses is funny and I'm I'm chuckling along while I'm watching it and that the that balance of the com the comedic aspect in which it's funny but it's like it's not like uproariously funny it's just like you're like yeah this is a good that like that was those are funny lines and this is a funny mm -hmm. circumstance but the film isn't like telling me to laugh like some other films will do 
But at the same time, it's also a very sad movie. It's about this, you know, this disconnect that grows between these two men that they can't get over or that they can in the end. They can be frenemies at the end. I mean, I don't really quite know how I think about the ending. Sure. And I also think the film is stunningly beautiful. This location is just like otherworldly in its quality and just the light and the way it shines. But I think that the film, I don't know, there's, it doesn't, there's, is there something missing from it or something missing from my viewing? It's maybe as we dive into like the characters and the themes a little bit more, I'll, I'll come to understand a bit more about the film. But right now, I, cause I only saw it for the first time for this review. Um, I feel like I have a very surface level viewing and interpretation of it. And perhaps I can dive in and find a lot more about the film. But right now I'm just like, that was a good movie. That's kind of how mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm in a similar boat. It's interesting because this is my second time watching it. We got a chance to see it in theaters when it came out, and I certainly enjoyed it a lot. But I came out on the other side in our, our initial review being like, yeah, that was good, but I, I expected to love it, and I didn't. And uh, I watched it the second time. I'm like, okay, you know what? We're sitting down. It's time. I'm watching Banshees again. This is one, this is one of the movies of the year. And I came out the other side. I'm like, I liked that, but I wish I loved it. And I think I'm in the same similar boat to you, uh, Timo, is that I, I don't think there's any flaws with this movie, but it doesn't feel particularly remarkable to me. It's like, yeah, it's a it's a very good movie. Um, and and I I like the characters and I love the cinematography and the the culture and the uniqueness of of it of its setting and its culture and tone. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't really stick out too heavily to me. It, it's it's a very good movie, but it it doesn't crack into my favorites of the year anywhere even close. Uh, yeah, I mean, I also, as Tucker said, we, we initially reviewed this one uh, when we saw it in theaters, and um, I liked it a, a, roughly about the same, I would think. I don't think my thoughts uh, or feelings about it developed anything or anywhere substantially um, on it. Um, but yeah, I, I really just would find myself parroting what you guys have been saying. I think the tone is very unique to Martin McDonough's style of writing. I found myself, because um, I, I, I watched this one with my girlfriend, and she's like, oh, is it a sad movie? Because it sounds like it. I'm like, well, no, but yes, at the same time. It is a com I'm like, it's a comedy. She's like, oh, it's a comedy. I'm like, it's a comedy, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. But it's but it's it's so charged with, like, depression and angst and just, like, longing for something more that I have a hard time calling it, like, a comedy. It has jokes. It's a very funny film. But I have a hard time calling it, oh, yeah, this is a comedy film. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let, me, you... let me rattle off the noms here. Yeah, let's do the noms and then we can we can get into the meat of it. What's really interesting about the Banshees of Inisherin as a presence at the Academy Awards this year is that it is the it is tied for the second most nominated film at the ceremony uh, with All Quiet on the Western Front, which is sort of like a maximalist technical across the board film, whereas Banshees is very simple in its story, simple in its presentation, very few limited number of characters, and, and really only a single setting, you know, basically this coastline town. But regardless, yeah. we, uh, Banshees of Inisherin was nominated for Best Picture. I can't, if you can believe it, fellas. If you uh, can was, believe it. <laughs> God. Uh, Colin Farrell was nominated for a, uh, lead actor performance. Um, a, uh, Brendan Gleeson and Barry Keown were both nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Carrie Condon was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Um, it was also nominated for Achievement in Directing for Martin McDonough. Uh, original Screenplay for Martin McDonough. Film Editing. Uh, original Score. And I believe that is it. I think I got, I think I got no it all No Cinematography? There. 
No cinematography for this one. Cinematography very very stacked this year. There's a couple snubs. Yeah, mm, that's a big a one. Feel. I think it's, it's a, it is a big one. Absolutely. Yeah. But lots of above the line nominations here. Four acting nominations, writing, directing, lots of stuff up top there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically everything you a, f- a film could possibly get. And you also, know, yeah, mainly the reason why it's tied with everything everywhere is because that that also has picture director four acting awards. Well, everything everywhere has eleven. It's it's tied with uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, oh, my bad, my bad. Why yeah. it's up there? It's, it's, yes, it's yes. got it's got four. But it's in a lot of those same categories, and is really the competition for everything everywhere in screenplay. Yeah, where. Yeah. I want to start with since this film was nominated for four act for four performances. Let's start there, yeah. and we can use that to wedge our way into this into this story into the yeah. themes of the film. Colin Farrell, I think, pl- does an amazing job of communicating. Patrick, mm-hmm. he is Patrick in this film. I see him as a character that well. First, Colin Farrell, seen him in other movies in Bruges, you know. So like, I, there's this, movies this year, yeah, or the, in 2022 rather, Daredevil. But. There's this like I feel like he's in an act he's an actor that I can view as like the actor, but then all when he does a really good performance, like dissolves into the role. And this one is the latter camp. I really just feel the human interpersonal connections that he has and the longing that and like the just kind of like befuddlement. This character is so interesting in that like he is stupid and everyone calls him stupid behind his back. And he like, yeah. oh no, they say dull. They say dull, but you, it's the same thing. They, he's yeah. dull. He's dull. It, when he, when he becomes wise to that, I feel like that is like a, such a, a well conceived acting moment, like setting up your character to have these different, you know, forces that when they meet and then you get a performance where you get to watch a dude ask his sister, be like, do you think I'm dumb? And she mm-hmm. then has to struggle because she kind of does <laughs> think, she, but she doesn't yeah. want to tell him. And then, I think the script plus the acting works to make a lot of really incredible moments of film and that I, I think really are, fo- I don't know, there's not a verb for fo- foundationalized by the, uh, they are built upon a strong foundation of script writing and acting. I see, yeah. Very true. Yeah, and I, th- I, think, I think that is definitely, as we're all probably going to agree here, that's the strength of this movie is portraying simple interpersonal communication issues and and hiding things and having petty arguments those moments are what sell this movie outside of its humor moments and its and cinematography and those sort of things but i think the reason that um this movie works for me is unfortunately not colin farrell i think he does a very good job but he's the least interesting character to me out of our our four core characters all of whom were nominated for acting awards um and he's just the he's He's, he's just, he's a very simple guy. And I think there's an intrigue to that. I think Colin Farrell plays that very well, but he is dumb and he he moves his cows around and it goes to the bar. And like, that is just, that is like the bare bones, like three point structure of like, okay, I have a character, but he kind of feels like he should be a background character almost. Like he should be a side character that you run into a couple times across the, the course of the story. But he is the, the protagonist of this film. He's the one that we follow from the very beginning to the end. And I find that to be an interesting creative choice, but I think it's also part of what distances me from loving this film. I think that every other character has more intrigue, more personality to me. And even though I like Colin Farrell a lot, I don't see the flabbergastingly amazing Oscar-winning potential performance that other people do. I think he's good. I think he's very good. But I've liked him more in other things. And I think he's just completely outshone here by everyone else around him. 
See, I, I disagree with that. And I think for me, the reason that Banshees is such a remarkable film is it sort of is about just being a mundane person. And yeah. we don't get that too often. Um, I, I think what's really interesting about Colin Farrell's performance is that he's got such a, a, a range that he exhibits, despite the fact that ultimately the film is about, at the most core level, his older friend who's playing the fiddle doesn't like him anymore mm -hmm. and he goes around as you're saying tucker and pokes his cows and and does his his little his little life and goes and drinks at the pub and we learn from siobhan that he's there like every night and then he, he's he, that's what he does he spent two hours talking to colm about what was in his donkey's shit that mm -hmm. that's yeah. part of the what, well, what no it was his pony shite shows how much you were paying attention Right, that, <laughs> look at look at this multi-layered banshees <laughs> reference we're making, um, and I think that's quite refreshing. I and in that in that mundanity, Colin Farrell I think brings a dimension out of it that makes him more than just the guy who moves the cows around and goes to the pub and is having his friendship fall apart. I think of the moment when, as the film is ending, as Siobhan says that I'm leaving, and I'm going across to mainland ireland and you're going to be here by yourself and he he's hugging her and they're crying and then he goes you'll come back soon Sh siobhan and then she doesn't say anything and you just hear him go well why can't you say yes and i think there's this really empathetic and honest emotional core to his performance that that deepens the mundanity that i think you're referring to tucker and it's yeah. the fact for me that, that Banshee has started those interesting lines in which, yeah, he's just a cow farmer. But he's also a cow farmer whose best friend is cutting off his fingers and throwing them at his door. And he's a cow farmer that's going to end the film literally in flames by burning down this man's house. It's, it's these contrasts. And, and I, think it's, I, I think it's Colin Farrell's ability to pull the emotions out of those contrasts make it also a, a be believable and enriching. I actually think, having had not seen Banshees before, seeing it now, this is as, to me, as compelling a performance as what Austin Butler did in Elvis, which we discussed last week. And, and I do see why he's been lauded so heavily. I think, for me, he really does make the film work for all of its sort of incredibly disparate elements. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. um, what's interesting about that is uh, you, you talk about how he's being awarded here, Abram. He's winning a lot of critics' awards. A lot of critics' associations are giving Colin Farrell their uh, top lead actor prize, which I find interesting because I, did, I think he does give a uniquely subtle performance. And I think that's it was built in for him in the script because Pedrick is a uniquely unremarkable man. And I think that's what, yeah, as you were talking about, that's what makes him so interesting when he's thrown into the mess of uh, circumstances that is this film. That all of a sudden, for seemingly, you know, for seemingly no logical reason, his best friend stops talking to him and starts cutting off his fingers and throwing them at his door. And, yeah. you know, he's... he's what we would to, all do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think so, yeah. But we and have he has done. to associate with, like, the village no idiot, essentially. I'm gonna keep charging through this conversation that's <laughs> happening on the side, but he has to he has to make friends with the village idiot, and his he's really coming to terms with how people view him since he doesn't have his best friend anymore, and his sister is leaving, and there's also an there's a civil war going across the way over there, and 
it really throws into um, perspective how complacent uh, he is and subsequently we can all be in our personal lives and how they can so easily spin out of control when we when you pull out one little Jenga piece, essentially, and how that transforms him. You know, he, he goes through a range of like personal or personality changes and trying to win his best friend back and eventually becomes just as dark and jaded as uh, as Colm is burning his house down saying you know i'm never gonna forgive you for this yada 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 and i, I do think it is a, a really interesting performance i wouldn't say i wouldn't call it my favorite of the year by any stretch of the imagination but i think he is very he is quite good yeah and i i think maybe i was being a little too harsh earlier i, yeah. I, I said i still do like him i think that everything you're saying about it is why this movie is distinct it is why it's unique it's about mundanity it's about struggling through the most basic interpersonal conflicts that you could have but like extrapolated out in comedically over the top mm-hmm, ways. Mm-hmm. And that's what gives it that Martin McDonough flair. If yeah. there weren't the fingers being cut off and there wasn't the house being burned down at the end, it would just be like a, a kind of quiet Irish drama. But Martin McDonough, in his Imbrusion 7 psychopathness, could go in and spice it up with these funny moments that are darkly comedic. And that's that's the flavor that I love personally mm-hmm. out of Martin McDonough. And I, I like that he is giving himself a range. He can go from Imbrusion 7 psychopaths or to three billboards and banshees which are much simpler more contemplative films and you still feel that that satirical dark humor energy behind it um but i think that that strength of martin mcdonough's screenwriting and where i feel this film does do its best in being distinct in those dark humor moments those for me are centered around the other characters which is why even though i like podrick i like uh, what colin farrell's doing he is outshone by the other three characters because they all have they all have more exaggerated character yes. traits. One of them is cutting off his fingers and doesn't want to talk to his best friend. One of the, his sister has to deal with this, and I find her to be like a really interestingly complex character. And our 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 boy from Eternals mm-hmm. is over there just being the silliest motherfucker on the planet. And I I love all three of them in terms of the nuance of their characters and the the energy that their performances bring. Unfortunately, for me at least, the film focuses so heavily on Podrick. It's 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 a very balanced film. I don't want to. Mm-hmm say like, oh my god, these guys never get any screen time, but it focuses more so on Padraig, and I just, I find him to be the least interesting piece of the puzzle. And maybe that's intentional, and maybe that's where this film's, like, mundane, mundane identity comes from, but I I just always want to keep returning to what everyone else is doing around him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think he's the the audience in is the thing, and I also got to say, great eyebrow acting from Colin Farrell. Oh I, yeah, I just keep coming back to the the very first you conversation. I actually have very similar eyebrows. I know. I was about to say, Tucker, you could do. Could you try to do like the the eyebrow like pushing up against each other that he does uh, when he's like when they're having that first conversation outside the bar, and he kind of I can't do it with mine, but they get like really close and like temple up against each other like that. Eyebrow acting is hard, man. Yeah. I'm trying to do it right eyebrow now. Eyebrow acting is very hard. It's difficult. Yeah. It's difficult. And you know what? That's why he's going to win the Oscar this year. I actually don't I don't think he's going to win. I, I you know, I I would I'd probably I'd say Austin and Brendan over him for sure, but it is a three-horse race this year, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Well, let's, I, I yeah. do think to to Tucker's point, the the reason and to sort of transition off of this point then yeah. about Colin Farrell, but to me it sort of reinforces what feels like a really authentic emotional peril when the main character is being outshone, quote-unquote, by the people around him. To me, that sort of reinforces his situation in his own community and deepens, to me, 
the sort of despair as he's trying to figure out where he belongs. Um, and, and I do love the moments and we get a couple of them where he's in, confronting Colm mm -hmm. and basically pushing Colm to see, okay, are these fingers really coming off? What's really the situation? Is yeah. my friend still even here anymore? And that's very genuine. I, I, I yeah. think the, yeah, the moment, confusion in, in yeah. all of those things, he's like, what literally, why are you doing this? I don't yeah. understand. Yeah. And there's, there's the two moments in particular, the first one he gets drunk off whiskey and he confronts Colm when he's with the abusive sheriff mm -hmm. and they have that confrontation. And then the second one where he bursts into Colm's house and sits down and talks to him about his, finishing his piece, the Banshees of Inner Sheeran, and, mm -hmm. and then saying, oh, I'm going to run ahead to the pub and I'll meet you there. And then hours pass and hours pass. It's very relatable. I don't really, th I, I, I think the idea that you feel like the people around you are, are more interesting, you don't belong or something's wrong. That's just a human, that's a human note, I think. And, and to oh, me, speak for yourself. sure, sure, sure. And, and I think the <laughs> fact that he is our entry point into it allows the other characters to be heightened in a way that feels important. I don't think that a, a, a Banshee's Vanishirin that stars someone as sort of um, theatrical, how about as the characters around him, would be as compelling. Because even Siobhan, as you're saying, Tucker, is a very understated character. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. I think it's the fact that there, there's almost like this, um, the epicenter of the film is this, is this normal man then his sister is normal, but a bit more confident, a bit more mysterious, perhaps, whatever you want to ascribe to her. She, she I, strives for more, is I think what the thing is, yeah. is that Patrick is complacent. He's perfectly happy to live his yeah. life as he's lived it for the past 40 years. Yeah, and then the, as you sort of get further out from his circle, you meet, the, you start to bring these other people in, in, into, the, into the wake. They would be Barry Q and, and Brennan Gleeson. And to me, that's a compelling way to get to those characters. Because it, yeah. it really is in my opinion, what Colin Farrell gets out of them that makes them so interesting. Like, I, I, I love seeing um, him develop this relationship with uh, Barry Keewen's name is what, Dominic? Mm -hmm. Yes, Dominic, yeah. Because Dominic is just this complete, like, shithead punk who's got this, still this very sensitive side, as we learned mm -hmm. out in the riverbank, but the moment when he's having dinner with, um, with Pedrick and with Siobhan, and he's just this loud, rude, obnoxious young man. And you just have Pedrick sitting there like, oh, yeah. not reacting. <laughs> I think it's the fact that he's there that heightens the drama in that scene. So I personally really love touching these other characters through Pedrick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, should we... Tim, what were you going to say? I was going to say, we should talk about Brandon Gleason's performance. Let's do it. He's the I other side of the coin of this movie. So, mm -hmm. yeah. What do you guys think of him? I think what's interesting about our good boy Colm Sonny Larry yes. is that he's most not his name both, by the way. They always call him that, like consistently, and I'm like, where does that Sonny Larry thing come from? He's always he a have... real Sonny Larry. I think That's he's why. credited is, is that a term? as I don't know <laughs> Colm Doherty. Yeah, Colm Doherty. Yeah, oh, they call him Colm Sonny Larry. I, I, so that's like not an incorrect way to refer sure, to him. Yeah, like, his friends are for. I digress. Uh -huh. I think he is the. He's the most exaggerated character, even though Dominic, I would say, is like probably more more traditionally like a wacky character. Mm -hmm. In his like stoicness and just like sitting there and like not really making much of a face, and then going to the extreme lengths that he does, I think we get a really complex guy out of him. But I do think that much with, like my my issues with 
um, with Colin Farrell as Patrick, is I wish there was more balanced screen time so we learned more mm. about Cole. It almost feels like even though he's kind of he's kind of the crux of the conflict of this film, we don't we don't see that much of him. He's off like in the distance or like across the bar for the vast majority of the film. And I'm always like, I want to listen in to what he's talking about. I want to listen in. I want I want to know his thought process a little better because I think it is in those moments that this movie shines its brightest is when we're learning about what w- w- his own internal struggle of realizing that his life has kind of amounted to nothing and he wants to have some peace and quiet and make his mark on the world. These are, this is where the themes of the film, frankly, come in of like losing your identity, of having this midlife crisis and recognizing that your place in the world isn't quite what you thought it was. Like that in, in with Brendan Gleeson's performance and his character is the most interesting part of this film thematically and writing wise. And I really love those moments. I just wish we got them. I used to watch me on more of them, to be honest. Yeah. And Tucker, can I tell you something? Martin McDonough tricked you, Tucker. You're you're directly in the you're directly in the shoes of Padrick because he wants to he wants to know more about sure. uh, about Colm as well. Um but yeah, I I see what you're saying. I was actually uh interestingly uh caught a, a like a about a five minute video of some compiled deleted scenes from this film on YouTube oh, this whoa. morning. Hmm. Um and I mean, they, they, they just compiled, like, the finished stuff, so it's nothing, like, super grandiose, I think. And I think what probably everything that's intended to be in the in the movie is largely in the film. There is one scene... This is the Banshee's director cut. Yeah, it is. It, essentially, yes. Um, it, there's one scene where you see, like, um, Colm, like, having trouble composing a, a piece of music that isn't... It's not a long scene, but maybe it's part of a longer thing. I couldn't say. Um, but it does. it does really seem like, you know... He's he's a supporting actor. He's a supporting character in this film. He is the best friend who is now broken off from Patrick, and we're left to wonder why. Um, and we do get a, a handful of scenes between him and other characters. And I think what Brendan Gleeson really brings to his performance in all of his scenes in this film is that quiet discontent, that quiet depression that is in yep. this, that crisis that you were talking about. And... He doesn't necessarily know what he wants either. He wants to make something that lasts, but why, really? He's like, I might as well do this. It seems like the logical solution to these feelings that I'm having, but it doesn't seem like absolutely resolute in that in that belief. He's he just mm. seems lost yeah. and and at a loss for what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that what makes his character so interesting is his ambiguity and our lack of understanding. And I feel, find myself like guessing alongside Patrick about like what, you know, he makes a guess as to what is happening. And then and I also am forwarding some notion about why Colm is, is doing this stuff. And I think that you're right, Tanner, as the film progresses, these themes of the quiet depression and kind of this island life really changing, not changing, I guess, developing how these men think about their whole lives and how they aren't happy and about how, you know, Patrick is not super happy. I mean, he is he is very happy because he's very content, but mm-hmm. Colm is not happy at all um, in this tiny little podunk, like, you know, no nothing town where all there is to do is drink at the pub. And as far as I can tell, that's like the only like building yeah. rather than houses. In, um, in, in the, specifically, in the, the town of Inisherin. Yeah, 
Oh, that's true, but they like drive like yeah, they do. thirty minutes away oh, to go there. But Timo, the the reason I laughed a little bit when you said uh, he he's so happy is because just because I remembered uh, the very opening of the film, comparative to the rest of the film, is so funny in in retrospect because it's Patrick like walking by the dock. There's like a rainbow in the background. He's smiling. He's like going about his life because that's who he is. He's like my life is as I've known it for the past forty years, and I'm totally content and elated with that fact. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and we're confronted with the character who isn't and mm -hmm. i think that as sad as i'm i'm saddened by patrick's character and how he you know reacts to what goes on around him but i'm i'm more saddened by brandon gleason's character in how he just seems it his actions seem irrational and they seem they seem driven from a place of greater hurt and of, of mm -hmm. greater pain and so I feel even I feel more empathy for him because I'm like, something's up, something's up that he's not saying to anybody. That is why he's really doing this. And, you know, we can make yeah. a guess, but the film doesn't tell us by the end of it. It kind mm -hmm. of puts forward a, a pretty clear idea, but we aren't confirmed in our in how, you know, in thinking in thinking what's going on with this guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm. There's a there's a, a shot very early on in the film I like. I believe it's when he when when Patrick goes to Colm's house for the first time and doesn't respond about going to the pub. It's this shot through the window, and oh, and, yeah. and we, we 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 rack focus from Colm sitting in his chair to the window, and then the 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 ocean is reflected onto the window, and you can no longer see see Colm. And and windows end up becoming very important to this film. There are a windows and glass because there's a mirror and a shattered mirror becomes important mm -hmm. as as we end. And there's this idea I think that the film is is presenting about sort of distance between people. And to to your point, Tucker, I think we very intentionally don't get through that window that that we're, yeah. that's illustrated very early on. And I. I think that's a I think that's a complicated notion, and it sort of goes back to how the film feels very genuine to me, because we we meet people and that we're close to, and then something goes wrong, and we don't know what happens, and then things just end. But you, you have to intuit, as, as Timo was saying, and I think there's so many moments where we, even though there's that window between us and and Colm, we we get a sense that even though we don't have a justification, we know that Colm is is confused. Not in the way that Pedrick is confused by Colm, but Colm himself doesn't know what's going on. When when Pedrick confronts Colm in his house the second time, um, and they're talking about dancing with his dog and everything, we see on his face this this like this longing that feels like, oh, I want to go to the pub with you. I want to do this, but I can't. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think part of what makes his performance so excellent is what he shows on his face or consequently doesn't show when we return through the window and we see him smoking a cigarette as his house is burning down around him, mm -hmm. he's just blank. I, I think in our inability to understand Colm, he becomes a very alluring character. So I really like that. And I think Brendan Gleeson brings a lot to that performance. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, I, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Go, go, I, sorry, go ahead, Tucker. Okay. And what, what I would say about him is, that there, there is like multiple sides to his character, and we are able to see glimpses of the, the the joy and the energy that he does have for life when he's not around Padraig, which is such an interesting. Uh, I mean, that's the that's the crux of the film. It was like, how how does this 
distance and this grudge and this pettiness that they're holding against one another, how does that impact the way that they interact, the way that they are when they're separated? What are they thinking when they're separated versus when they're together? And I really love seeing the change that uh, that, that Brendan Gleeson puts on Colm's face when he's having a good time playing the fiddle with a bunch of people at the, at the pub or, or being at church or whatever. And, you know, he's he's living his life. He's distanced from Padraig and he's he's content. He's happy with, with pushing things forward and, exp and meeting new people. And then when Padraig walks in the room and the smile sort of disappears from his face and you see his, like, his brow furrow and he's like, okay, now I have to like deal with this. That, I think, are, is my favorite moments of acting from Brendan Gleeson because it's, it's a range on a micro scale of watching this guy's thought process impact the emotions that he's having he's he's joyous he's uh, okay maybe all the, the fingers on his hand are gone but he's he's yeah. doing this with his fiddle like jamming along to the music and then the the pub door slams open as it does many a time and <laughs> Padraig Shulibon fucking walks in and then he's like oh god now I have to like have a conversation with this guy who's kind of adult that I don't really like anymore that is that's the Banshees of Inisherin to me is mm -hmm. is those moments of watching Colm's emotional turmoil bubble up and, and go like from a from a nice high to a crashing low yeah. i really really love those moments the real banshees of inner sharon was the friends we tried to kill along the way that's a great point <laughs> i i think oh, where it gets point. even more complicated though to your point is that my i think the scene that is maybe the most emotionally charged in the entire film is after pedrick gets punched and yeah. gets the shit oh, out of yeah. him by the police officer mm -hmm. yeah. and yeah, Coleman watches it happen and then nonetheless picks him up and wordlessly they ride together to the literal fork in the road. Yes, yes. Uh, where where Colm goes to the right and Patrick takes a horse to the left. And not a word is exchanged between them. But Patrick begins to cry. Mm -hmm. and, and and I think both of them, the, the success of their performances and to me the entire film is in the word coined by the beginning of question is subtleism. Mm -hmm. And I think that's yeah. very effective because I uh, think we, we we did the complete 180 from last year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because I think the other very subtle but nonetheless incredibly effective component of the dynamics between characters is that for as much as this is about the relationship between Pedrick and Colm, it's also sort of a study of a town of people mm -hmm. and sort of how a town of people interact. Because mm -hmm. we, co we come to subtly learn sort of what the barkeeps think of of the relationship between Patrick and Colm. Well, it's the barkeep and his friend who's yeah. always sitting there and and parrots his words, which is so who looks, funny. Yeah. Who's, who looks exactly oh like God. him, except with a shaved head. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or the, or the yeah. other way around, I don't know. The, the great thing about The Banshee's Been a Sharon, and to me, alongside that dark humor I was talking about, why I do feel, even though I don't love this movie, I do like really find it interesting, is that we were talking about how unremarkable this film is on the whole, but that's what makes it feel so unique mm -hmm. is we're looking in, we're looking into a, a life on, on an island, in a culture, in a time period, in another country that is so foreign to us is the idea of, you know, we're always on our phones. We have computers. We have friends across the planet. Millenniums. Exactly. Well, millenniums always <laughs> be on their phones and we happen to be a part of that. Uh, and, and consuming different kinds of media and learning about the world on a global scale. None of that applies to the Banshees of Inisherin and learning about the culture of this small Irish town and the ways in which, because it's a small town, everyone knows one another and knows the goings on and they have to, in order to buy literally anything, they have to like make a trek to this one store on this one, like on the other side of the island. There's so much granularity in how the film is paced 
that we're able to sort of map out, even in just the two hours that were shown, what is the culture on this island like? There's the bar, there's the church, there's the store, there's the dock, there's a couple of houses, the fields are gigantic, you got the cliffs here. It, it paints a really complete picture of what this incredibly simple lifestyle could be like, and that allows you to extrapolate both forwards and backwards what these people's lives are like. I mean, you can, even without seeing any of it, easily imagine what Colm and Patrick sitting at the pub talking for two hours about pony shite. Like, you, you can imagine what that is like because you see bits and pieces of what this what their world is like. And I really find that fascinating of a look into an incredibly simple but so different from our own culture. Abram, you mentioned uh, maybe before we started rolling, but maybe it's in the episode. Audience, you'll know. Um, that you had done that this film inspired you to do a, a, a wee bit of research into the Irish Civil War. And now that we've mm. talked about Padraig and Colm, I think it's appropriate to bring up um, how the relationship mirrors the conflict that we see briefly on the horizon in this film and is brought up a, a handful of times after that. Um, because, in, uh, Abram, since you did the research, I'll, I'll throw it over to you for just like a, a quick little s- a summary of what the Irish Civil War was and why it's important to this film particularly. If right, you if I, you want to do that. I'm going to try, Tanner. Okay, yeah, we, we're doing a history <laughs> lesson here. Don't insult me in the comments. But uh-huh. basically, um, Ireland, and stop me as soon as I make a mistake. I, yeah, stop. Ireland. <laughs> Ireland used to be a British territory. Correct. Mm-hmm. I, Ireland gains its independence, and then there is a like a treaty put forth about how territory is going to be divided, and then the there is a civil war from nineteen twenty two twenty three short short lived but conflict oh, between the IRA and the other guys, and people who like the British, yeah, the British, and they are fighting over how the nation of Ireland should define its nationhood and, and how it should be governed. And, and the, 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 the borders, is, I believe the borders mm-hmm. of territory is, is, sort of what, is sort of what the conflict is. And I have some friends who I write with who are Irish, and when the film came out, we're tweeting like, yeah, this is a really good movie, but I can't imagine enjoying it to the same extent if I was not Irish and I didn't understand sort of the context of the film. And so in doing a little bit of reading about it, I read like a, I'll send the link to the group chat so we can put it in the description to this Vox mm. piece. It very, very simply encapsulates the, that idea and encapsulates the idea that essentially Colm and Patrick can be read as these two Irish factions who are brothers, mm. who mm. then over what is ostensibly a simple difference in a moment are um, diametrically opposed antagonists. Yeah and confused yeah. and complicated and don't understand how to bridge that gap with the other. And it's sort of about the, the in part, the ebbing and flowing of Irish national politics and culture and, and, and things like that over yeah. the Civil War period and then the various tumultuous periods in Irish history since then. Um, again, none of this is my thoughts. It's all stuff that I'll leave in the comments so you sure. guys can read it from somebody smarter than me. But yeah. that's a whole another component to the Banshees of Inishirin that I think is important to sort of contextualize the entire film around. Yeah, that's if funny. I can, I, I wanted to throw my two cents in there as well because I know I I, I didn't need to read a Wikipedia article or anything like that. But from, but from what I know, it was really yeah, like there was the one side who wanted you know greater Irish independence and freedom from the British crown, and those who were 
more closely aligned with the crown. And what that really is, if we're comparing it to these two characters, is Pedrick, who's wanting more complacency and something that's more similar to what life his life was like in the past, versus Colm, who is, you know, wanting to be more independent, be free from whatever constraints of life he's lived in for the past. I mean, he's older than Patrick, so 60 plus years of his life. And it's it, it, it is those dueling ideologies that bring them to um, these people who were so, once so close and now cannot bridge this gap of conflict that has grown between them. And so, yeah, I, yeah. I, I just think that's a really interesting um, political mirror that this film throws up to a, a bit of history that is close to the hearts of uh, basically everyone involved with this film. I mean, uh, uh, Colin Farrell, Martin McDonough, Brendan Gleeson, Barry Keoghan, all Irish. Terry Condon as well, yeah. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. What do you think that this discussion, this like comparison and reading of the film in this political way, like adds to your thematic understanding? Do you think that this is that um, McDonough is trying to make a commentary on our current situation on a unreconcilable difference between two brothers growing out of a small a small point of contention is that applicable to what's going on in the world today or should the film not be read like that i i think it is um, oh sorry go ahead no i'm yeah okay i mean i i think it is such a um evergreen thematic message that it can be applied to basically anything it can be applied to interpersonal conflicts as is the focus of this film or geopolitics in a lot of ways. Um, I think it, that's why I think it is so thematically resonant with uh, people of all walks of life, people who are Irish or, you know, some some American boys over here in the, the good old U.S. of A., you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God bless. God bless this mess, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure that none of us have to go particularly far out of our, like, circles be it family be it friends to to reach a conflict around sort of a political flashpoint in the last mm-hmm, yeah. i don't know i just gotta go one room over <laughs> god ain't that the truth Tanner Dykstra. <laughs> and, and so i think that is important but but at the same time i do think that this film is so uniquely irish that mm. i don't really read any sort of american political cultural yeah. conflict into it personally mm-hmm. yeah what, what i take away from it more is is the macro or sorry the micro interpersonal conflict or the macro idea about sort of what it means to last and what it means to be important and, and mm-hmm. what it means to leave a legacy behind because to me also a theme of babylon sure to mm-hmm. me, uh, not being Irish, not having a connection to that component of, of the sort of allegory and theme of the film, it is that scene in the pub where we have um, Colm talking about the music of Mozart being remembered, but the yeah. niceness of um, Pedrick's parents being forgotten in less than 50 years' time. And I think, I think the film is compelling in how it puts forth forth both of these ideas but i think that it comes down more inside of padrick he's got that incredible moment where yeah. he says i am padrick and i am kind or i am nice something to that effect and he walks mm-hmm. out i i think that the film is critical of this idea that colm puts forth about needing to leave something beyond yeah. themselves and beyond their memory 
I mean, it becomes self-destructive to him. And, and I'm not sure what you guys think about this, but I think the film pretty clearly comes down on the, on the side of Patrick. What I think was yeah. interesting is it also corrupts that very niceness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it seems yeah. like the film is suggesting is correct. And so I yeah. think that's part of why the themes are actually quite complicated in, in what Banshees is trying to say. I mean, yeah. Patrick I think, yeah. is not nice in many moments. Burning someone's yeah. house down, not nice. Telling the dude that your father got run over by a milk van? Not nice. Bread van. Bread van. Bread van. Yeah. You know, boy, if it's the same bread van. God, if it's the same bread van. (laughs) If it's the same one. (laughs) Funniest moment in the movie. We've been talking about the the themes and the the messaging and the characterization, the dramatic characterization throughout this whole thing. Haven't brought up the jokes, which is fine, um, because I think that that's a less complex discussion than, than, than the drama is of it. But... That's the funniest joke in the whole movie is the bread van yeah, joke. It's so funny. Easily. It takes so long to develop. Like that joke is like yeah. a it's it's like five minutes of setup. And then mm-hmm. you get I hope it's I oh my mother was hit by a bread van. And you're like, Tommy, mommy yeah. died. <laughs> what? It's the same bread van. I'm gonna kill him. I'm gonna kill him. <laughs> so I think that what you're saying, Abram, is that I agree the film does take sides and say that like in enjoying the time that you are given um, and being kind and nice to others is a like a an admirable human thing to do, and it's a good way to live your life. and And so maybe maybe the corruption of Patrick is telling us that we we have to like hold on to that. We have to hold that niceness dear. Um, but maybe that at the same time, not everyone else is going to be nice. And we can't let ourselves be dragged into their um, their meanness and their you know the antagonism that they can that instill with that is like blatantly present within all of us, but that we have some amount of control over. Maybe that's what it's trying to say. I don't know. I just made all that up right now. Oh, <laughs> uh, Abram, um, you you did. Thank you for reminding me of the moment in the bar when Patrick is drunk and he's confronting Colm and he says, "My parents were nice." Um, because uh, in that the deleted scene compilation I was talking about, there's a scene where um, uh, Patrick visits his parents' grave, and he like he changes the flowers out, and he says a single line. He just says, "You are nice," and then yeah, so, yeah. so I'm like, "Oh yeah, that, that, that fits him." Yeah, that that fits why that was in the movie. Because I was like, "Oh, that's a, I, I, I don't know, I don't remember them him bringing up his parents in the film, but good call there." Um, I think we should talk about you know, the other two nominated performances of the film: Carrie Condon as Shaban and uh, Barry Keoghan as Dominic. Um, yeah. I want to start with Dominic because Barry Keoghan is ah. my favorite part of this film. He he is he has all the lines that I'm going to remember just because he's so funny in this. And yeah. at the same time, you know, there is a a, a darkness to it, as there is with uh, everything funny in this film. There's a darkness to all of his interactions as well. But what do you guys think of, of Dominic in this film? I think what's interesting about Dominic putting his character in conversation with what we're talking about in terms of personalities, representing themes, and, mm-hmm. and what the film is saying about those, is that Dominic almost represents someone who's too complacent, and that's to his detriment. He's so forgiving for the, about the situation that he's in is that he allows his father to beat him senseless presumably many many times over the course of his life and just puts a smile on his face and skips away afterward and he's like oh well that's just that's just how life is and i do think that that is what where the film kind of strikes that thematic middle ground of of making fun of him for doing that is it's not a good thing to be so complacent and so forgiving that you just 
let people take advantage of you and abuse you. Um, but he also is easily he's my favorite performance in the film. As I do think that the amount of of kicks that he has and the weird ways that he brings out a different energy whenever he walks in the room with anyone is such a breath of fresh air for this movie. Is I I, I feel like Dominic showing up instantly rockets my entry in the scene and, and of course that's very subjective and as i said earlier I, well, i'm mm-hmm. not like the biggest colm darty or patrick Suleiman fan <laughs> but but dominic even though i i don't agree with him on a lot of the choices that he makes i find the personality that he has and the way that he is so inept with uh, to, to social norms to be incredibly fascinating and but he ends up through that lens bringing multiple themes and sides of other people's personalities into light and making them think about themselves in different ways of okay uh shaban sees herself as a nice person she knows her brother is nice even though he's a little dull but she recognizes that okay he's not that dull when he's put next to dominic and maybe she's not that nice because she's very hesitant about this young man who's just been abused like letting her him stay one night in his house like each of these characters have the way that they think of themselves and dominic is so simple-minded that he he doesn't i don't even know if he thinks about himself but he makes everyone else reconsider the way in which they see themselves which i think is really important to this film like Mm -hmm. evolving each of the characters it's interesting because i don't necessarily think i really think of dominic it seems in the way that you do to Hmm. i i I don't really think he's complacent necessarily in his his beating or or anything if anything he's he's quite Rebel, he rebels against his father multiple times in, in the stealing of the, the drink, for instance. First of all, walking in, he's like, if you wake my dad out when he's been wanking, he'll beat the shit out of you. That scene is so fucking funny <laughs> when they go to steal the drink for the first time. But mm-hmm. He does it again later in the film. I, I think what, what Dominic has is this sort of um, desire, and I think this is pretty clear, desire to be loved by somebody. Mm-hmm. And... To me, I don't. I, I think his entire character is about trying to find that, and and there's this sort of optimism in him that his father can't quite beat out of him, yeah. and so I don't view him as simple at all. Actually, I view him as as um, I think what's interesting to your point about bringing him into conversation with the characters is is that it almost seems like 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 Pedrick can find uh, an extreme of himself in Dominic of wanting to be loved and and wanting somebody right. And yeah. then the moment in which he finally does ask uh, Siobhan if she'd be interested in loving somebody like me someday, it feels like that's the culmination of everything that he has been misguidedly trying to be up until that point in the film. And I have Twitter, so I had been told, you watch this 90-minute sec of Barry Keoghan and you'll see that he deserves to win the Oscar. And I didn't watch the clip ever because oh. I, I knew I was going to see the movie. Yeah. Um, and I think they're right. I think it's an exceptional scene. And I think it betrays everything that dominic puts a front to try to avoid uh, his so his sort of rudeness towards towards women is creeping i believe he's he's told by pedrick it doesn't matter if you're rude but don't be creepy towards my mm-hmm. sister or whatever he um, on both accounts he fails on both accounts but when he lets his guard down then the sort of guard he puts up to survive the abuse that he faces and is then nonetheless met with rejection i think that scene is so deeply cutting and then the yeah. the implication that he probably killed himself after that. I, yeah. I I think is very powerful. His that sort of last that last cord of optimism that he was holding on to just snaps, and then he's done, and there's nothing else for him. Mm-hmm. He 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 goes to 
goes to Pedrick for somebody who's going to be nice to him. And then when he reveals what what he said about the, the bread van, bread van, he's like, I thought you were nice and you're not. I don't have anybody now. I think he's a very sad character. Mm-hmm. I think, it, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think it almost makes you feel bad about laughing at him is when, you know, he gets he used that the hook on the stick that he found at the beginning uh, to drag. They use that to drag his body out of the out of the out of the lake there. And it does make you feel bad for laughing when he says, oh, foiled again. There goes that dream and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Because Barry Keoghan delivers those lines with such, like, Non-sh- heartbreak. And it, 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 and just the characterization. I can't even put a word on it, the characterization he brings to, to Dominic. That you laugh in the moment, but you look back and you, and you feel bad for laughing. Just like many of the people in the town would, honestly. I mean, he's the village idiot, as I sort of uh, introduced him as when I was giving my summary. And that's what everyone views him as. Siobhan says, yeah, you're, you're, you're not the stupidest one. That's Dominic by a mile. Uh, yeah. And then, but they, they focus on that and not the clear and blatant abuse that he's facing in the from his father. Not only physical, but also clearly sexual as well, violence mm. and abuse. Um, but no, he's just the village idiot, and we all point and laugh at him for being the village idiot. And mm-hmm, you know, yeah. I, I feel like that's a microcosm of like the the niceness and everything like that that this film is dealing that this film is concerned with, and also maybe some of the uh, the Irishness of being like constrained, keeping your issues to yourself, not wanting to get in anybody's business, and not wanting anybody in your business. Yeah, let's talk quickly about Siobhan, and then we can move on to sort of sort of wrap up where we're. Yeah, time is come, not in any imminent moment, but it's coming to a close here. It's coming soon. I think that Siobhan is a very, very well done character, like all the other ones. Um, and her performance by Carrie Condon is really well done. Those moments, I think, that are her standout moments is where we get the different kind of relationship. Because up until now, we've been talking about these like found relationships. You know, you choose your friends in some sometimes, and sometimes they choose you. But this time, Patrick and Siobhan are brother and sister. And so this familial relationship plays out a little differently in the film than these others. And I, you know, the moment where she like, I think it's a couple times she goes and confronts Colm about what's going on because it's just as stupefying to her. Doesn't I mean, she kind of gets where he's coming from, but certainly she must not you know, agree with it or, or be happy about that. Her, her brother's just like lost his friend. And those moments in which she gets up in Colm's face are, are very powerful. And I think demonstrate some of that, like, I think the love that is felt between those two characters that, um, well, I don't know what happens with the love between them later in the movie, but I think that, like as a rounding out of our cast of our four character cast and the different types of relationships it's very she's very well placed um in the script and in the story and i like her yeah what, what one of you said earlier that uh Padraic was kind of the audience in mm-hmm. and the more i think about that the less i di- the less i agree actually i never agreed but i now i'm explicitly disagreeing is i actually do think that it's Shaban because i think she is the one that is more much more clear thinking than everyone the other sure. three characters they're doing extreme things. They're mentally handicapped in some way. They're, they don't understand social norms. But she comes into a scene and she brings a confidence, an understanding, and empathy to where, yes, she's annoyed by people. But she knows that she can maybe talk to them a little bit. She comes into a scene and 
even though Cole like has wants nothing to do very explicitly multiple times with Padre, he respects Shibata. And when she comes in and talks to him, she they they have a genuine conversation and they like mm-hmm. really get into the nitty gritty of like why are you making this choice? No, that's not good. Like there's a balance between that she brings between everyone that I think makes her my favorite character in the film is she feels she's the one to me that feels very real and genuine is she's got her problems but she understands that in order to make things better whether it's for the people around her or for herself she has to make difficult decisions she has to go up to a guy twice her size that that might do something violent to her and and say hey no you, you shouldn't be doing this you need to be more respectful she and in for herself she makes a decision like this is not healthy for me i need to leave and watching her come to grips with that decision and, and recognize that she can do more with her life is endlessly fascinating to me. And so she's my, she's not my favorite performance in the film. As I said, that, that honor goes to Barry Keoghan, but she's my favorite characters. I, I find her reactions to the crazy things around her, whether it's how simple Padraig is or how ridiculous um, what Dominic and Colm are doing to be where the theme, the, the themes of the film, the character moments are at their most rich is whenever Shaban is on screen. Yeah, um, I also like Carrie Condon in this. I, I, I really got, gained an appreciation for her and her performance on this rewatch. Um, and the scene that you're talking about, Tucker, I think the key thing for me there is when she says, I just don't understand why you're doing this. She says that to Colm, and Colm just answers back with, really, you don't? And then she see that recognition on her face. She's like, I share the exact same fears and discomforts of being complacent on being trapped on this island on not fulfilling any purpose that i feel that i have and that's why she leaves and you're in your right tucker in that she's like it's healthier for me to leave than do what colm is doing um but yeah. colm is just farther down that road he's an old he's he's farther down that road he's an old man at this point and uh she has prospects she gets a job on the mainland whereas colm doesn't have those opportunities at a library. At she's a li- just like me for real. She's just like you for real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that she's also just that her her befuddlement is a, I'm gonna steal a word from from the beginning, and her just the fact that she's so done with all of this ridiculousness comes across in that performance as well. Uh especially with people like Barry Keoghan being creepy to her when they have when they're having dinner and she's like, Wild? What do you mean by that wild? And she's uh, great scene. She, yeah, she is she is freaking out because she's like, everyone is just so she, she's just annoyed by everyone on this island and how they're how they act and she's like i have to get out of here yeah yeah she she is she sort of escapes the sadness that nobody else can mm-hmm. and, and i think the scene that i really love featuring her is when she's preparing the porridge uh, and she goes into the kitchen and she's got to push the donkey off of the table and mm-hmm. then she reflects on the letter and this opportunity and the sort of this, um, these moments you get of her realizing that I'm going to be more than this, I, I think are quite effective. Um, she finds herself in a very similarly socially precarious situation as her brother when she's when the police officer says to her, yeah, no wonder nobody likes you. And we sort of see the toll that takes on her and, mm-hmm. and the sort of heartbreak of the uh, awakening into the scene with Colin Farrell and hearing her cry in the bed next to him. I think you want her to escape. I think it's very easy to Timo's point before about finding empathy for Colm. I think it's most easy to find empathy for her. Absolutely. And a sort of happiness, but one of the nonetheless tension with the melancholy of leaving her brother 
as she is the only character in the film to ever put on a, a bright color. Yeah, as she puts I was on just her, about to mention that. Her yeah. yellow jacket and, and leaves on the boat and, and, and waves to her brother on, on mm-hmm. the ridge. I think, it's, I think it's very effectively done. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's her bringing that like spark of life to the film that does, as I said, just because she's my favorite character, make me like those scenes so much. And it is reflected in the, the color choice of this movie, which is such rich greens and browns and grays. And it's so unique and so distinct and really makes this place feel otherworldly. Like I've never seen walls of stones this color cut and the stacked that high and Nova. oh I, I thought you're talking about the cliffs but you know the, the the little like 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 the the waist high stone walls that yeah are all throughout ireland and the uk that were built there like a thousand years ago and were constructed so soundly that they still stand to this day yeah it's 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 really cool it's a really cool location to set this thing in mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. just stunning i i mean the I last summer I went to go to England and I got to go to Scotland and it's not quite Ireland. But they look pretty similar. They're pretty close yeah. to each other in pretty global close. scale. And really? man, it's just so beautiful. Like every single shot feels just bathed in this like golden, like the sun has come now below the clouds and is like simultaneously bouncing off the underside of the clouds and then shining this beautiful light all over the place. And like, you know, they go and sit and then they've got like the most the world's most scenic pub location ever. They're sitting outside and they're just like <laughs> drinking their Guinness and looking out on this like absolutely unfathomably beautiful landscape. I think that there might be some commentary to be made on a contrast between the way that the landscape is so serene and mm-hmm. like immaculate. Yeah, and and peaceful really and then there's the the humanity that lives within the landscape that is so yeah in you know in turmoil and full of strife and unable to really find any harmony it seems yeah mm-hmm. i think it's telling that uh how affecting the this location is is just on a personal level that uh, after we watched this film in the theaters i distinctly remember i think it was tucker we, we were planning a, we were planning a sort of a spring break trip we were trying to pick a locale and and tucker said why don't we go to ireland like Let's go to ireland i think i think the day yeah. after we watched this movie is like i mean I was, that'd be fucking great because it, it's just beautiful out there I, and then it was going to be like 1300 exactly ticket. Like, yeah, we're yeah, college students yeah, we can't no, swing no, that no, no, no. <laughs> so, yeah so we landed on the ireland of the united states Austin, Austin Texas. Texas. Austin, Texas, baby. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, that, you know, of course, that ties into the cinematography of the entire film is just stellar. I mean, I keep thinking um, my favorite shot, I think, maybe of the entire film is it's a nighttime. We are in Colm's bedroom after he's cut off uh, his finger and he sort of like lifts it into the moonlight and it casts a shadow. Yeah. I'm like, that's just a cool ass shot right there. He's like doing this and yeah. you can see the no finger like the fingers missing. reflected yeah, yeah. against oh, the wall. Oh yeah, yeah, really cool. Yeah. Great moment. I yeah, will okay. We... I want to just mention the fingers. Um the like the actual finger props and the finger slicing. That's yep. all very it's all very yeah, it gives me the ick like crazy. But his mm-hmm. like fingerless hand prosthetic is not does not look the best i feel like it, i don't it, think so it i love, love the opposite of that i love how it looks i love that the stumps are uneven like the like the middle finger is like longer than the rest of the stumps because he's just he's doing it as he's cutting all of his fingers off it's so just it's not gonna i be don't perfect. know something about the way that it like sat on his arm and his body it's just like it didn't oh sure. it, it, yeah, it looked like there, he was you know had his hand inside of a, a fist thing and then there was it sure. looked like a prosthetic to me which was okay. unfortunate mm-hmm. but 
I want to talk about the cinematography also as a tool for visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's a couple, again, sort of going back to the um, literal fork in the road. It's not especially subtle all the time, but I, but I think reinforcing your, your themes and narrative through visuals has just been incredibly important affordance of film in general. There's this sort of, um, there's, this, there's this very small and repeated conflict between um, Pedrick and uh, Siobhan about whether or not the donkey can be in the house. Yes. And I'm not putting they, it upside when I'm sad. Right. Exactly that. We get that we get that line, which we sit with for a while, and then after she's left, there are these moments where they're just animals throughout the entire house. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. the just these wide shots of a room and there's like a fucking horse and a cow walking around platypus zebra mm-hmm. donkey giraffe <laughs> rhino toad or, or the moment um when we, we have uh Pedrick sort of narrating his return letter mm-hmm. we see him lying sad in bed mm-hmm. asking and the horse is looking at him home, yeah. and it's just an animal in the room i think that's really effective i also think it's really effective again this repeated motif of the this separation by mirrors and this there's a lot of shots framed to around characters faces is this moment when colin farrell is standing between two uh pieces of clothes on the clothesline that frame him in the center or the the shots of um home in the confessional booth through the window it's all very intimate and close to the face but then the moment of Pedrick smashing his mirror and he can no longer see himself he's mm-hmm. not the same guy anymore and suddenly there's a lot of a lot of Patrix in, in the mirror, in the broken mirror. Again, it's not very subtle, but A, it's incredibly beautiful. Mm-hmm. B, I think it's a nice way to tacitly reinforce the journeys your characters are taking. Yeah. And a lot of films simply don't use the camera that way. So I think it's important to shout that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As we wrap up, um, it wasn't nominated for cinematography, but do we have any quick thoughts on like the editing or the score? The other two nominations that we that we had. Score's very film? good. Score's very good. The score is gr- it's very good because it's so distinct we talked about this place feeling so so culturally and visually distinct from our own that reflected in the cinematography and the color grading and the culture that we're learning about but it also is reflected in the score which is not a it's not a kind of score that i've ever heard before it's like basically all um like marimbas and xylophones and glockenspiels and mm-hmm. like i i i, I it, it's all composed out of just those kinds of instruments and i think that makes it feel like well, hold on no, no where are like the trumpets and the strings like we're we're so used to those being what film scores are that mm-hmm. like sh- like stripping it back to one kind of instrument one 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 genre of instrument uh really made it feel super distinct to me i think that it could have been a little more varied there's a lot of the very similar uh, musical cues played over and over again and at a certain point i was like yeah okay i've heard this before but what's there i absolutely love so yeah. love the score quite a bit Let's pull up that score sheet. Uh, I think and it's the perfect segue. We need to do this every time. Yeah. Every time, well, I was gonna, I was going to say, the editing is just super good as well. I mean, it, it stands out the most, especially in those uh, those uh, comedy sequences when uh, when we're doing, what's the opposite of licks, huh? Just the, the cutting back and forth sells that those comedy, those jokes. Jokes. But, anyway, scores. I have I'm thinking. my number inputted. I thought about it and okay. i feel i feel good about the number that i'm going to give it so uh let's find okay. out if we're going to give this film a 9.2 or an 8.5 <laughs> in uh in three two one let's do it oh oh oh, oh don't do oh, it oh 
Oh, oh we've got a third number. There's no tie today. We we oh, we we're finally able to freaking give a film a different score. Uh huh. We gave it an eight point seven. So it's going to go no deliberation this time. Thank no God. deliberation. <laughs> um, it'll go in between Tar and Avatar, and uh, yeah. The score breakdown is uh, Tanner gave it a 9.0, followed by Abrams. Oh, no. Abrams gave it a 9.5. Tanner gave it a 9.0. Then Tucker and I both gave it an 8.2. Good scores all around. We actually have no bad scores yet. There's no bad movies Out of the six movies. Great point, yes. (laughs) It's crazy. It's crazy. So, uh, The Banshees of Inisherin is going to go at number four on our list. Since we haven't, we're pretty far into it now. I'm just going to run down the list really quickly and just remind you of what's what's at stake here. So, our top three films tied at 9.2 points, but numerically adjusted so that they're in order right now. Mm -hmm. Everything, everywhere, all at once. And then All Quiet on the Western Front followed by Tar, and then our newest arrival, Banshees of Inisherin, then Avatar, then Elvis, and then the next movie that's going to go on the list. Which one is it going to be? It is going to be Triangle of Sadness. Uh, a bit of a surprise nomina- Best Picture nomination this mm-hmm. time around. It was I mean, bringing up the last two spots here, but um, another one that Tucker and I have seen. Uh, either uh, Timo, you mentioned that you've seen half of this film. Yes. Yeah, so I was watching. I was having a particularly bad day um, last fall, and I was like, I was like I don't know. I was feeling kind of sick. Stomach was kind of mm-hmm. upset and just stressed about Uh-oh. school or whatever. Well. <laughs> You'll see where this one's going. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to watch a movie and take my mind off myself, you know? Okay, I'll watch Triangle. I've been wanting to watch this film. So I load it up, and I'm watching it. I'm enjoying it. And then we get halfway through, and the ship starts rocking, and these rich people start barfing, and my stomach is like, mm-mm, no, I don't yeah, want to watch film, this. Not a kind of film that you want to watch on an upset stomach. And so yeah. I paused it at my the middle. My dad left during that scene as well. I paused it in the middle, and I didn't pick it back up. Um, so this time around, I'll have to start it at the beginning. I'll get to see mm. the second half for a se- or the first half for a second time, and the second half for a first time. Yes, it well, was like Timo, you stopped in a particularly special place because uh, you have no clue what the rest of this movie is. Going Absolutely to be. none. Will, I don't oh, know. Completely, yeah, that, that'll be. We'll completely change what you think of this movie because is there a film with more distinct two halves? I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ruben Ostlin's Triangle of Sadness, available for rental and purchase. Starring Woody Harrelson. On, on, yeah, starring Woody Harrelson, Harris Dickinson, uh, Charbly Dean is in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, rest in peace, of course. Um, but yes, available for uh, purchase and rental on VOD, if you want to watch along with. Yeah. So until we join that super yacht, um, until then, we'll see you <laughs> oh, next yeah. time. Peace. You're listening to The Quest for the Bestest from Backlot Banter. Join us on a side quest as we watch all 10 Best Picture nominees and decide which one we think will take home the big award. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Abram Buner, Tucker Hazel, and Tanner Dykstra. The episode gets started in just a moment. 